Welcome to Defeat PPD, where we empower women to overcome anxiety and depression in motherhood without medication. I'm Arielle Wozniak, and I'm a maternal mental wellness coach, and I will be leading you through this journey. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Defeat Postpartum Depression. I am your host, Arielle Wozniak, and right now we are in the midst of our first ever series. This series is called What Causes Postpartum Depression, and today we are talking about a bit of a touchy subject. It is traumatic births and traumatic birth stories. So um, if you've been following for a while, you may have heard either parts of my birth story or my entire birth story from having my third child in 2018. And if not, that's what I'm going to be sharing with you today. Um, We will end with a couple of tips or actually four tips for Uh, kind of how do you process this information? What do you do with a traumatic birth experience? Um, But I do just want to say that this may be somewhat triggering for some individuals if you uh, have just recently had a traumatic birth. So you may want to forward to uh, the end of the podcast just to get the tips and maybe come back another time to listen to the full birth story. Um, Totally up to you, but just know that Um, yeah, you have that ability to just forward through and get what you need. So I um, was pregnant with my third child, like I said, Kyla. She is now five years old, which is just crazy. She just had her fifth birthday at the end of June. And um, she's our first girl. So we have two older boys. And this is the very first girl. From the very first time I ever got pregnant, I thought for sure I would be a girl mom. And the reason why is because pretty much everyone in my family had girls for years and years and years. Um, I think the youngest boy, like on my side of the family, or at least immediate family, was like 30 something. And so I really didn't think there was any possibility that I would have a boy. But I had two boys. And so uh, deciding to try for a third, we were really hopeful for a girl. And I think I put a lot of like pressure on myself to somehow make sure <laughs> that she was a girl, which is crazy now that I'm saying it out loud. But it was just a really like anxious, uh, I don't even know what another word to use, but I was just very anxious throughout most of my pregnancy with Kyla because I was so concerned with making sure that she's born, she's healthy, everything works out the way that it should. Um, Even before I got pregnant with Kyla, I was in a a group, like a trying to conceive group. Um, And it was just like this obsessive thing. It was about temping, which is like taking your body temperature at certain uh, times of the day. It was about making sure that like, you know, when you're ovulating and all these things, which can be great, but when they become like things that you are obsessing over, they are not helpful. And so I was doing that for a while. I got pregnant very quickly with Kyla and almost didn't believe it. 
I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that I was in this trying to conceive group and I was one of the newest individuals in the group because women had been there for years, some of them trying to conceive um, some their first child. And so reading through all the posts of um, just all the things that have happened, whether it be miscarriages or um, just not getting pregnant, it was really like getting into my head that for whatever reason, we also are going to struggle with this process. And so like I said, once I actually found out that I was pregnant, it was hard for me to believe that in the first place because I had filled my head with this the story that it was going to take a long time to get pregnant. And so I took more pregnancy tests than I even know, um, or I knew I was taking them. I took more pregnancy tests than I can count at this very moment, five years later. Well, yeah, five and something years later. Um, I was just really, really like obsessed with for sure knowing with 100% certainty that I am pregnant. And I've told uh, some of that story before on previous podcasts, but I won't stay too much there because that's more of um, the getting pregnant story and the prenatal story and all of that. But I just want to highlight some of those pieces for you and what my mindset was going into labor. So I'm kind of this like very anxious individual by this point, and I haven't really been anxious majority of my life. Like there are certain things that would make me anxious, like everyone has some things that they worry about or make them nervous and that kind of thing. But anxiety wasn't like a, a normal part of my life. So when I was going through this pregnancy and just feeling this anxiety all the time about every little thing, whether it was that... I felt like my heart rate was too high or I felt like my pupils were doing something weird or I felt like my leg was tingling and all these things like my mind just became obsessed with looking for something that was wrong. And so that is the mindset that I carried into my pregnancy. And granted, not everyone is going to have even a similar experience to this going into pregnancy anxious or going into labor anxious, but that's where I was. So I was really primed for panic and anxiety and trauma for labor. And so that is exactly what I ended up with. And so again, taking nine months of just hyper-focusing on every negative thing that could possibly happen and my brain now has become so good at automatically seeking out the negative. That is not who I was prior to this pregnancy. It was just something that over the course of those nine months, I became really, really good at. So again, I am trying to control all the situations, making sure that everything's like perfect or perfect to me. And so we get to the point of it's a couple of days before of my due date. And so Kylo is due on June 29th of 2018. And I think that it was June 26th or June 25th of 2018. If I said 19 before, I meant 18. Um, but either way, it was a couple days before her actual due date. And I just felt like I couldn't wait anymore. I was to this point of just like, I've gone through this for nine plus months now. I just want to get it over with because in my mind, once she was born, 
all the anxiety that I was feeling would just fade away and I'd be able to enjoy having my first daughter and just enjoy that experience of motherhood again. But that's unfortunately not how it happened. So I decided to kind of take matters into my own hands. I, like I said, I was tired of waiting for her to be born, even though it wasn't it wasn't even her due date or anything yet, but I was just so tired of waiting. And I think it's also worth mentioning that my two prior births were all C-sections or both C-sections. So my first C-section was more of an emergency C-section. It was not at all planned. I planned to have a vaginal birth. My second was a scheduled C-section because the doctor that I was seeing at the time did not allow for uh, VBAC. And I say did not allow. And every time I say that, I'm like, that is so wild to me that you get to control what I do with my body. But anyway, um, so that doctor did not allow that. And he said that he would do a scheduled C-section. But at the time, I thought that that was great and that that would work out really amazing for me because I could plan everything around it. I already have one child and it'll be easier to plan childcare and all those things. So it was fine. It worked out fine. And so I had come from that pregnancy of knowing the exact day that I would give birth and be able to meet my child to now this pregnancy of like, I don't know, maybe you will meet her in a week. Maybe it'll be two weeks. Who knows? And that uncertainty was just too much for my mind to bear. And even with my pregnancy with Abram, who's my oldest, we um, ended up doing a an induction. So I was induced with him and that's part of why it ended up as like a, a failed uh, labor or I forget what the name of it, of it is. Um, but either way, that didn't work out. And so I had that C-section and all of that. So I have these experiences of kind of having more certainty around when I would either go into labor or when I would um, have a C-section planned and then going into the situation where it's completely unknown and I'm super anxious about everything. So I decided to try out Midwife's Brew. It's disgusting and not recommended. Um, but at the time, like I asked my midwife if I could try this and she said, sure, if you would like to try it, but just know that there are some potential unpleasant side effects. I will spare you the details of what those unpleasant side effects are, but yes. And I, again, I'm not recommending that anyone try this, but this is what I did. This is what I thought was the best option for me at that time to get the results that I wanted, which was to go into labor. So I do that. And then I do start to actually go into labor. I start to have some pretty tough contractions and I'm just feeling super uncomfortable and my belly is doing really weird things or not my belly doing really weird things, but Kyla is preparing for her descend into earth. Um, and so like, it was just like, it was a lot of pain. I was in a lot of pain and part of the midwife's brew also, uh, it works with your bowels as well. So, you know, you can imagine that for yourself, but I'm just feeling all sorts of pain and I am regretting doing the midwife's brew. I'm regretting this decision to try to push her out before she was actually ready, but here we are. And so I called my midwife and let her know that 
hey, I'm going through this right now. And I had a midwife and a doctor. They were both in the same office, but called the midwife, let her know that that was the issue that I was going through. And like, I tried it and I think, you know, labor is progressing. So uh, she has me come out to the office. I go there, they check me. They're like, oh, you're only a couple centimeters and we wouldn't want you to go to the hospital right now and then have to stay there for a long time or they send you home. So just go home and labor as much as you can. I go home, labor a little bit more, but by this point, I I feel like my brain is starting to get fuzzy. Like I'm just like not totally mentally there. The pain is unbearable and I am more anxious than I've ever been in my entire life. So a little while longer passes, I call back to the office and I'm like, this pain is so intense. Like I think this has to be the real deal. What are your thoughts? And so they're like, okay, you can go to the hospital and they can check you out there. And if it is truly labor, like they'll keep you. So we go to the hospital. I really like, I can remember the car ride to the hospital, but I don't remember it a ton because at this point, I feel like my brain was kind of trying to shut down because I was so anxious and we have protective mechanisms in our brain, which is super cool to try to uh, just help us out in certain situations. And so part of that is like disassociating. Um, and so I was going through a bit of that and not really knowing what it was, but it was causing me to panic even more. I was just really scared. I'm in so much pain. I'm experiencing disassociation. I have no idea what that is. And I didn't have a name for it at the time. And so it was just this like out of body experience as we were driving to the hospital. So I remember it, but like not totally. We get to the hospital, they check me out and all that stuff. And they're like, all right, you're actually in labor. You can stay. And so we stay. And again, all this pain happening, I had this plan of like this really natural birth. It was going to be so peaceful and like just bringing her into this, I don't even know how to explain, but just this lovely environment. Get to the hospital, scratch that. Pain is too much. I need an epidural. The thing is, is that I've had an epidural before and it partially worked because I have scoliosis and for whatever reason, it's hard for them to actually get it to work totally. And so I knew that was, uh, that could potentially happen again, but I was willing to take that risk because I was in so much pain. So the, (laughs) I called him the epidural man when I was in labor, but the anesthesiologist came and gave me the epidural and instantly I felt so much better. I felt like I was there. I was present. I could start to focus on just being here for this labor and getting to actually experience it. But unfortunately, that pain relief did not last very long. And as soon as the pain started to come back, the anxiety came back more extreme than it had ever been in my entire life to the point where I felt like I was dying. And so I'm laying on the hospital bed and the epidural is like kind of working in certain parts, but not in others. Like I feel parts of my body, but like parts of my lower body and then other parts of my lower body, I cannot feel. And with panic setting in, I also had this like weight on my chest that I felt like, like I couldn't feel my chest. I could feel my chest, but I felt like I couldn't feel my chest. And so I said to one of the nurses, like, I think that this epidural has gotten like to my upper body. And I'm just worried about like getting to my heart. 
And she basically told me to calm down. That's not going to happen. But that comment wasn't really super helpful. Um, And I continued to panic. And then I started to get this like intense jaw pain. I could still feel myself going through labor. It was just this like terrible, terrible experience. And I ended up having like multiple panic attacks throughout this labor And finally, it's about time for me to push. And I'm like, I cannot hold it any longer. I need to go ahead and push. But they told me I had to wait for the doctor to get there. So I'm waiting for the doctor. I'm feeling super anxious. I'm like, just my mind is racing and it feels awful. And so it felt like it took him forever to get there, like hours. But I'm told it was like 30 minutes. But I felt like I had to push for like 30 minutes and I'm here waiting. Anyway finally go into like the process of birthing and pushing her out. And I am just like in agony and pain and I, I can't do it. I feel like my brain is going to explode. I can't feel certain parts of my body. I can feel other parts of my body. And it's like the room is spinning and it feels just the worst. Like I would never wish this experience for anyone. And I remember saying to my doctor, I'm like, I cannot push anymore. And he's like, well, you have to, you have to push her out. And so I gave it another good push. And the whole process of actually like pushing her out was about 30 minutes. Um, But it felt like a very, very long time. And so she finally comes out. Everything looks good with her. And I'm just like lost, not really there. I feel... I don't even know how to explain how I feel. I just don't feel at all like myself. I feel like a crazy person, like I'm going insane. And after that, one of the nurses said to me at one point, I was feeling really dizzy and lightheaded. And this was hours after birth or potentially the next day. It's kind of all a blur with this story. But I told the nurse that I was feeling like some tingling in my legs or something was off of my body and feeling dizzy. And so she said she would come and she would check me out and all those things or whatever. So she comes to my room, she like checks me out, takes my blood pressure and a bunch of other things. And then she decides to tell me that I lost a lot of blood during birth. And typically most doctors would have given me a blood transfusion, but my doctor decided not to. And that sent me into more panic. I'm like, I need a blood transfusion. Something's wrong with my body. I'm dying. I have this child and I cannot even enjoy these first couple of days. Outside of that, um, Kyla failed multiple hearing tests. So I'm also thinking that she's deaf and I'm dying. It's really bad. It's really, really bad. And I'm starting to experience these panic attacks over and over again, and I have no idea what the name is for them. That's my birth story. That's Kyla's first couple of days on this on this earth is just panic, anxiety, just unexplainable pain that I had never felt before in my life. And that led to this period of postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression, and tendencies of postpartum OCD. That traumatic experience completely changed 
everything for me. And so first of all, I want to thank you for listening to that story. Um, but if you've gone through something like that, and it doesn't have to be that it was an anxiety driven labor or anything like that. Um, if you've gone through extensive blood loss in your labor experience, if you've had any of these like things that have happened to you to make it a traumatic birth, these next steps are for you. And one thing I want to add here is that what's traumatic to you isn't necessarily well, what's Traumatic to me might not necessarily be traumatic to other people or vice versa. And so your story is your story. No one can tell you that you did not have a traumatic birth because it didn't have X, Y, Z. If that birth traumatized you, it was a traumatic birth and you still have work to do to to process through that and make sense of it so that you can move forward. Okay, now that I've said that, so what do you do? What do you do after you've had this birth that was so unlike what you had planned? The first thing that you want to do to start to process your birth story is to get it out of your brain and pretty much anywhere else. I would say it would be with someone who is trusted. So whether you're doing mental health coaching, if you're doing therapy, or you just want to journal don't hold that story in. Don't just try to brush it under the rug like it never happened. Um, Don't allow anyone else to tell you that that was not traumatic. That was just a regular birth and allow that to make you feel like you just have to kind of hush about it. Let your story get out there. That's not to say that you have to post it on social media or anything of that nature, but just getting it out of your brain is a form of therapy. So again, whether that's journaling, um, some people who are like songwriters might write a song about it, whatever you need to do to get it out of your brain onto something else so that you can actually start to experience the freedom of not letting that just sit in the dark. I highly recommend therapy. Therapy is great. I uh, had a great therapist in my own life, and I've had bad therapists as well. Um, But finding a therapist that understands maternal mental health is extremely important. So whether they are a mom or they've just studied it and worked with a lot of other uh, clients who have uh, or who fit that demographic, either way, you want someone who's experienced with that. Or if you're going the route of mental health coaching, I mean, you could actually go the route of both therapy and coaching. Um, Someone who's a mental health coach like myself, we're not as, we're not going to go through as much of like the processing all of this, but can walk you through some activities that you can do to be proactive in processing your birth story. So that's step number one. Step number two is finding a support group. And in the world that we live in today, it's so readily available to you. There are so many support groups on Facebook. There are support groups um, on Baby Center, which is a, I guess it's an app or it's like a a board where you can write stuff kind of like a Reddit, if you, excuse me, if you will. And Reddit may have something too. I'm not sure. But the point is that there are a ton of support groups that you can tap into. And there may even be some that your doctor knows about, some that your friend knows about who went through a traumatic birth. 
make sure that you're getting in community and getting in some sort of like support network of people who understand. That's the important thing is that you're, you may share your story with someone and they may be somewhat like, you know, they may empathize with you, but if they haven't gone through it, it's really hard for those individuals to understand what that feels like and the pain of feeling like you're losing out on time with your baby because you're going through this experience and sometimes staying in the hospital for additional time or whatever that looks like to get the support that you need. Um, so yeah, having someone who understands that story can just be really, really helpful. The third thing is to practice self-care. This one I cannot emphasize enough. And self-care can look so different for every person. For me, self-care in the beginning was, you know, getting out in nature, taking a quick walk, going to therapy, um, reading my Bible, journaling, meditating. All those things were self-care for me because it, it built me up and gave me a moment of peace. Now, taking a bath is probably like my number one self-care thing. Like I have Wednesdays typically where I like to take a bath and just kind of just rest and like, I don't know, it's like soaking off the weight of everything that you've been carrying into the tub and just being there and being at peace. Again, self-care is going to look different for you than it does for me, but find those things that build you up and do more of them. And then finally, my last tip is to involve your partner and your loved ones. It can feel like, oh, they don't understand or like I can't share it with them because they have no idea what I'm going through. But I guarantee you that your loved ones want to be there to support you in whatever ways they can. So just being open about your emotions, about your needs, about your concerns, being honest and transparent, it can actually build relationships and make them stronger. And so you get this kind of bonus off of going through this traumatic experience that now you have a closer relationship with the loved ones or with your loved ones because you've shared this experience with them. So again, if you are going through this experience, you've had a traumatic birth, um, you want to process your story. You want to get it out of your brain. Don't just keep it up there and just relive it over and over and over, but also don't just sweep it under the rug and act like it never happened. So you can journal, you can go to therapy, you can write songs. Some people even paint and that's a way of like getting their story out there, whatever you need to do. Um, number two was to find a support group or people that understand what this experience is like. Number three is to practice self-care. And then number four was to involve your partner and loved ones. So that brings us to the end of today's episode. And if you are someone who is looking for mental health coaching support, I would love to be there to support you. Um, as always, you can visit my website, arielwozniak.com. It's in the show notes, but it's spelled A-R-I-E-L-L-E-W-O-Z-N-I-A-K.com. And with that, I will see you on the next episode.